as I've already indicated, our passage for this morning is taken from the book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the, all the way round to Illyricum, I have finally proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation, rather as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through, and, uh, and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. That's why we worship him. If I pay tribute to someone, I say or do something to express my gratitude to them or my admiration for them. Paying tribute is a way of saying, I think you are awesome. Worship is paying tribute to God. We put into words how much God means to us. Sometimes worship can be expressed in silence, a wordless wonder at how good and loving and gracious and amazing God is. Another way of paying tribute is by bringing gifts and offerings. I want to give you this Because the act of giving you something valuable, important or special shows how much you mean to me. And so we express that desire to give when we bring our offerings of money to God because God's presence in our lives is beyond price. Something that no amount of money could ever buy. And in the act of giving, how we give, we are saying to God, in my eyes, you are worthy of this and more besides. Paul says, actually, we should give our lives to God as an offering, like a living sacrifice, an expression of worship. 
It's a way of saying everything I am, everything I have, is devoted to God. And in Romans 15, Paul talks of wanting to come into the presence of God with votive offerings. And what he wants to bring to God as an expression of his worship and tribute and adoration is people one for Jesus. We catch a glimpse of the heart of Paul the evangelist. For him, sharing the good news of Jesus with others is his priestly duty. It is his expression of worship. And in his heart of hearts, what he longs for and yearns for is that the Gentiles, the rank outsiders, the people who had no knowledge of God, that these people might be like an offering that he brings into the presence of God. People who will be welcomed by God, accepted by God, sanctified and set apart to God, consecrated and dedicated to God through the Holy Spirit. Every person Paul won to Christ was an offering he brought in to God's temple. This life I give you, Lord, as an expression of my love to you. If worship is about telling God how brilliant you think he is, evangelism is about telling other people how brilliant you think God is. And Paul had an evangelistic heart. So he rejoices in the way in which Christ has worked through him to make the gospel known. He declares that in a region stretching from Jerusalem all the way around to what is now modern Albania, he has fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this was more than just a preaching campaign. Part of that fully preaching the gospel was establishing little communities of people who were devoted to each other and who together were devoted to Jesus. For Paul, a convert was not a convert until they'd been incorporated into the body of Christ and had become part of a group where they could be nurtured in their faith, discipled, cared for, loved and supported. So he was committed to establishing churches that he says, perhaps with a degree of flattery, are just like the congregations in Rome, full of goodness, knowing what they are about, able to support and keep each other on track. And as Marion told us, for ages Paul had longed to visit Rome, but he'd been too busy fully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in that region, in the eastern part of the north Mediterranean world. Too busy planting churches in areas we now know as Turkey and Greece to be able to get there. And once he planted churches, he committed to their ongoing support. He kept writing them letters and going back to visit them again. And here he was in Corinth, writing to the Roman Christians, and it would have been a comparatively easy journey just to sail across to Italy. But first he knew he had to go back in the opposite direction to Jerusalem taking with him the tributes of gifts and offerings that had been raised by his churches to alleviate the poverty of Christians in Judea. And Paul was going in the opposite direction to the one where his heart lay because he never lost sight of the global dimensions of the church. Every time he established a congregation, he saw in that group of Christ followers part of the worldwide church. He'd been commissioned by the church leaders in Jerusalem to take the gospel into the Gentile world. And as a sign that he had completed that task, he was bringing gifts back from the Gentile world to the church in Jerusalem to say, look what God has done. 
these people, one for Christ, are part of the same church as you belong to. Trying to make sure that the Jewish followers of Jesus in Jerusalem understood that although the Gentile churches Paul established were very, very different, they were still one in Christ, sanctified and dedicated to God by the Holy Spirit. And for Paul, bringing that offering from the churches in Turkey and Greece to Jerusalem as a way of saying, actually, that's my job done in these parts now. I'm looking further afield. His vision was to come to Rome and to use Rome as a base for a further mission westwards. Because as far as Paul was concerned, Spain was the limit of the known world in that direction. And that's where he wanted to go, where no one else had yet been, as far as he knew, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be the first person to go there and tell people the good news that the one true living God had come into the world in the person of his Son, and that in Christ they were forgiven by God. They were accepted by God. They were welcomed by God as members of his family. They were liberated from the hostile spiritual powers that had governed their lives. They were raised with Christ to a new life that would continue beyond the grave. Paul had seen the power of that message turn people's lives around in places where he'd visited. And he longed to go to Spain and see the same thing happen. To see lives saved. To see the preaching of the gospel backed up and corroborated by miracles and signs and wonders. That there would be more little groups of people confessing Jesus is Lord and looking forward to his return in power and glory. We've got no firm evidence to suggest that Paul ever made it to Spain. Acts tells us he only made it to Rome as a prisoner in the end, having been arrested in Jerusalem, and he was left and exercising his right as a Roman citizen to have his case heard by the emperor. And Acts leaves us with Paul under house arrest in Jerusalem, but having enough liberty to do what he most wanted to do, telling people about Jesus. So just three days after he arrived in Rome as a prisoner, he called the Jewish leaders together to tell them his story. It may be that he wrote the letters to the Ephesians and the Philippians and Colossians from Rome. But whether he was released from that period in prison to continue his ministry or not, Luke leaves us with a picture of Paul in full swing, sharing the good news of Jesus, the gospel of which he was not in the least bit ashamed, because he knew that the message of Christ crucified and risen carried with it the power of God to save anyone, anyone who believed. And that remains as true today for anyone listening to this sermon as it did when Paul preached then. Sharing the gospel was in Paul's blood. That drove him to go from one place to another. He would pitch up somewhere new, set up shop as a tent maker, visit the local synagogue, and when someone said to him, I don't think I've seen you around here before, what brings you to this place? Ah! That was his chance to say how he had met Jesus, how Jesus had turned his life around, how Jesus had risen from the dead, how the gospel could change their lives for the better as well. It was that readiness to seize every opportunity to be upfront about his faith that made Paul such an effective evangelist. Quite simply, Jesus was so important to him, he couldn't keep Jesus out of the conversation for long. And he practiced what he preached. And so before long, a number of those to whom he spoke became convinced that this man knew what he was talking about. That the Christ who turned Paul's life upside down 
could turn their lives around as well. Paul says it had always been his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that he wouldn't end up building on someone else's foundation. He wanted to be a pioneer for the gospel, not hang on to someone else's coattails. And in this chapter, we get a glimpse of one of the key verses that motivated Paul to do that. It's a verse from Isaiah. Speaking of how nations and kings would be amazed at the appearance of the servant of the Lord. And the bit Paul quotes is where it says, so that those who have not been told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Paul clearly felt that there were aspects of the servant's role that applied to him. And he felt called to go to people who'd never heard about Jesus before and be the first to tell them about him. And he felt called to to proclaim that message so that they wouldn't just hear the good news for the first time, but that the message would hit home and they would see Jesus, Christ crucified for them, with their own eyes. That they would understand that Christ died for their sins and rose again to be their Lord. And once people had accepted Christ as Lord, Paul didn't simply forget about them and move on to his next mission station. He carried them in his heart. He supported them in prayer. He went back to visit and encourage them. He wrote them letters when he was unable to get there because he was in prison. And it's because he had been so busy doing all that that he hadn't been able to get to Rome as quickly as he would have liked. But he never lost the yearning to take the gospel somewhere new to be the first to tell someone else about Jesus so that they'd be able to see for themselves and to make sure that the message they heard was deeply embedded in their hearts and minds so that they fully understood what Jesus was all about and the difference he could make. So that's Paul writing to the Roman Christians in Corinth. What does this have to say to us in Brighton Road Baptist Church in Horsham, a thousand miles away and two thousand years later? Well, the gospel is exactly the same. And it's lost none of its life-changing power. We're looking at exploring the possibility of calling a leader of community evangelism to be part of the team here. And I guess we're looking for someone with that kind of passion for sharing Jesus that we see displayed by Paul in these verses. And also the kind of commitment we see to making sure that new converts are firmly integrated into a church where their faith can flourish and develop and to be that kind of church ourselves. For us, the challenge is to have an outward focus, that desire to make Christ known, that recognition that the gospel is at the centre of our lives as a church, and it's lost none of its power to turn people's lives around. Too often, when churches grow these days, it's because someone's left another church to come to this one instead. And churches have passed around an ever-dwindling number of Christians between them as people shop around for a church that suits them and their families. That is not what church is about. And it's not what church is about because Christ is about redeeming lives through the gospel, which is the power of God to save anyone who believes. And if we put that at the centre of our lives together, that should save us from lapsing into any kind of survival mentality As we look to the future, as we consider appointing a leader of community evangelism, let's keep the scripture that inspired Paul at the forefront of our minds. As the church of Jesus Christ, as people who have received the Great Commission, we are here 
to make Jesus known to people who do not know him. So that those who've never been told about Jesus before will see him for themselves. And those who've never heard of Christ before will understand the gospel. The simple message that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lots of you are here because at some point someone said that to you and you said, yes, I believe that. If you believe it, it's your calling to say it to someone else. That's the commission that Jesus has given to us.